You sending the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. You're not even interesting enough to make me sick. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. I'm your density. You think I'm gorgeous? You want to kiss? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. Thank you so much for joining me. This week, I have my dear friend and comedy icon and legend, Lorraine Newman, on the show. And we are going to be talking about Taylor Hackford's uh, musical biopic, Ray, starring Jamie Foxx, Carrie Washington, and Regina King, among others. Um, and, you know, Ray is a movie that needs no introduction. It is on the Cheers list, uh, which which Lorraine and I talk about a little bit, its placement and if it's actually, uh, you know, cheer worthy and inspirational I am not entirely sure if it is uh but this is you know we have a really this is a great conversation so Lorraine is a founding member of the Groundlings which is an iconic comedy group based out of Los Angeles um she is one of the original cast members of Saturday Night Live and she is quite an accomplished voice actor um and she's a dear friend of mine Uh, we bonded via um we at a at a girls event that our friend Holly threw um, and uh, we're both big horror fans and so we were sort of off to the races and um, Lorraine is not only a dear friend and a wonderful person but she is also just a treasure trove of information she's a cinephile she loves pop culture entertainment movies television music comedy stand-up I mean it's it's just she's such a um a student of all forms of entertainment and she is one of the most intelligent and warm and engaging people that you'll ever know and ever meet and um I was so glad that I finally got her on the show she's a busy busy woman and um of course everybody wants her on their podcast uh and so I was I was thrilled that she made the time to talk to me about this one and I'm also thrilled that she picked a movie that feels completely out outside the box. Um, so, so that was great. So you're going to get to listen to that. Um, and one correction I have to make right off the bat, um, is, is so because we're talking about Ray, we start talking about musical biopics and, um, especially about pop musicians and, um, the, the notion that Rami Malek from Mr. Robot is going to be starring in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody as Freddie Mercury came up. And as we were talking about the film and we were talking about Rami and how he's going to be playing this role. Um, I say very authoritatively that Rami Malek is like 24, 26 years old. No way he's 30. Yeah, I'm nuts. I don't know where I get these factoids. And I also don't know, know where I get the gumption to just say things like I know what I'm talking about. Because Rami Malek is a 36 year old man. And you'll hear it in the podcast. I just like say it without even blinking. And I could not be more wrong. Um, so that's fun. 
but yeah, this is this is a great conversation about uh, music and Jamie Foxx and Ray Charles and so many other things. Um, oh, and sleep paralysis and aliens, of course, because, you know, like you do. Um, so I guess that's going to do it for this intro right now. Uh, as um, a reminder... June is just around the corner. I cannot believe that. And I'm going to be coming to Atlanta um, to do a live episode of Sending the Wolf as part of the Terminus Conference. So you can go to TerminusEvent.com. And if you buy an all-access badge to the rest of the conference, uh, which which I highly recommend. It is an incredible conference. Um, if you are a fan of movies and TV and entertainment and games, or if you're a professional, or if you're anywhere in between, um, you know, it's it's I've, I've had such a great time being involved with this conference over the years and so uh, I highly recommend it if you are in the southeast um, but on, in addition to all of that we are going to do a live episode and we're closing in on the date which means we're closing in on the guest which I'm very excited about um, so yeah alrighty friends I don't know if you can tell but I got a little bit of a sniffle so I'm going to keep this relatively short for long winded me here is Lorraine Newman talking about Ray <laughs> All right, I've pressed record, full disclosure. <laughs> You're on! <laughs> all your secrets, all your secrets. Um, thanks for letting me come over, by the way. It's my pleasure. And We're do buddies, you know. I mean... We could actually have work in a lunch, I'm, if I, you wish. It's true, and I, I do wish. I always wish. Okay. Um, and... Um, where you have you have appointments today, yeah. I just have one at four o'clock, and it's actually here at the house. Oh, great! On the phone. Oh, well, yes. that's even better. I love it. Well, um, thank you again for doing the show. I've been chasing after Lorraine, and don't worry, I'll give you a really nice introduction okay. when I when I record <laughs> right. privately. Um, but I've been chasing after Lorraine since the beginning. Um, yes. Because, and I know, so it's funny because you, I mean, you and I are obviously friends on our own, um, aside from all the work things, but, uh, but one of the things that I love about you, so I feel like I first bonded with you is because Holly just was like, you two are both big horror fans. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but, uh, and it does make a good match. People who like that genre have like, you know, aspects of their personality that are really compatible. I would agree. And also, I often find myself, uh, I believe that uh, not all, but most um, people who are fans of, of the scary especially are... Um, I have nice senses of humor. I think that, yeah, you know, it does go hand in hand. It does. It's like the element of surprise, essentially, yeah. you know, whether it's a laugh or a scare, it's yeah. kind of the same. Have you ever heard Eli Roth on any podcast? Yeah. He is hilarious. That yeah, guy. He is, you know, and he makes like the worst torture porn you can imagine. <laughs> some of it, some of it is for it's sure. great stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but one of the other things that, and I think people are, as you make the podcast rounds, cause I I know everybody wants to have you on their show, and why it's wouldn't true, they? It's true, Clark. I know. And why wouldn't they? Um, but I think that, especially when it's movie-related, like, you know, you are you are a legit cinephile, which I think yes. is very cool. Yeah. And so, I guess, um, well, just for my own curiosity, because I, I don't know, did you grow up watching a lot of movies or have any, like, gatekeeper in the house who was like, oh, you need to watch this movie and this movie and this movie? There was no one doing that. 
but I watched a lot of TV mm-hmm. and um, grew up in Westwood Village, so we had the Fox and the Bruin, mm-hmm. where they now have, you know, movie premieres yes. all the time. Um, but growing up, you know, I could walk into the village and go see movies and... As I said, you know, I watched a lot of TV and nothing's changed with that regard. <laughs> you have a very uh, nice couch for doing just I know. <laughs> but, well, so, um, yeah, I mean, so where do you, it was TV was the, was the real passion, but did you, as you got older, start diving into movies? Cause when I was a kid, like my dad, there were very specific things that my dad showed me that were not kids movies. You know what I mean? Right. Like it was the, a lot of Mel Brooks and a lot of Rob Reiner and stuff like that. Oh, that's like, great. That's what my dad. Thanks put, dad. Yeah. Thanks dad. And then, uh, but similar or at the same time, I had a babysitter who was, um, very, it, she was an artist and, and I'm still friends with her to this day. Oh, that's um, so neat. Yeah, she's she's a mama now and Aww. um it's it's been amazing seeing how she's sort of grown and come into her own since I've known her. But um she was always really interested. She was very much a child of the 80s and uh-huh. and she loved fantasy. So she's the one who showed me Neverending Story and Labyrinth uh-huh. and Pee-wee's Playhouse and uh-huh. and all the weird kind of Tim Burton-y off the beaten God, path. What stuff. a treasure trove. I had I was very lucky that my my, my gatekeepers were right. were into cool things. Uh-huh. <laughs> they had good taste, essentially. That's um, so great. But well, so you did the work on your own. I, I really, I've always been that way with regard to that and, and movies, uh, music. Um, nobody ever liked the kind of music that I liked, so I'd go places on my own. What kind of music do you did you like? Well, at the time? growing up as a teenager, I loved the blues, mm. and the club that is now the Improv on Melrose used to be a club called the Ash Grove, and you know a lot of really, I mean, all the great blues artists played there. So when I when I was in high school, I'd just go myself, you know, or go see David Bowie at the Hollywood Palladium, his Spiders from Mars, you know, uh, tour. But then I also, growing up, got to see the Beatles twice. Wow. Um, But I would seek that stuff out on my own, and the same with movies. Um, I just was always fascinated and just self-motivated. Well, I was um, very surprised when you picked Ray of all movies. Uh-huh. So I, I, you know, tell people all the time, like they can be as on brand or off brand as they want with their pick. Um, and and knowing you for the last handful of years, I, I wasn't surprised that you picked like a musical, but I, or didn't pick a genre film or didn't pick a comedy. Like I know that your tastes are more, far more eclectic. Well, it's a biopic. Right. Know? And um, one of the things is that at my gym, there's a big picture window and I overlook all the billboards on Santa Monica Boulevard and (laughs) the one that's up now is Jamie Foxx in a new show Shazam (laughs) beat Shazam you know and I'm thinking here's a guy who is immensely talented not that there's anything wrong with doing a game show Mm -hmm. but I mean he is a bona fide musician a bona fide singer a brilliant actor and a brilliant comedian you know, and I don't think people really recognize that, you know, um, any given Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, he's not a tall guy, mm-hmm. but you absolutely believed he was a football player. That's a feat mm-hmm. in my mind. And um, I know that he studied music in college. That was his uh, major. Um, so, and his impression of Ray Charles is magnificent. Mm-hmm. Um 
So yeah, that's why I wanted to choose Ray, and I actually watched it recently and was just marveling at the monumental talent that Jamie Foxx has. Yeah, well, the, so you saw this one recently. Did you see it recently for the first time? Oh, no. You saw no, it? No, I, I, I chose it because I've seen it. It's one of those movies that I'll watch again if I come into the middle of it. And there are very few movies that qualify that way for me because, you know, uh, I've had friends who said, let's, let's watch it again. I was like, no, I mm. remember it. It was great, but I remember it, mm. and I would be bored watching it again. But this is one of those movies I will absolutely watch again. You told me, we watched a movie one time called Where, uh, the, yes. the werewolf movie. Yes. And I remember you saying, I've seen it, Clark, but I will watch it again. And yeah. so I know that that's like a big... It was the third time. Wow. And, and with, you know, not that much time in between. I, I just love that movie. I like it too. I've told a lot of people about it and they've never heard of it. And I'm like, you need to watch this. It's well, actually a good werewolf movie. It's so quirky too. <laughs> it you is know, weird. I love that the lead guy who's the werewolf is the bass player for <laughs> Eagles of Death Metal. You know? And he's fantastic. I thought he was European because he plays a French guy. Mm -hmm. I totally bought it. Yeah. They're I, I love that movie. Um, but, well, so I had never seen Ray until I watched it. For this oh, podcast, what'd you think? I liked it, and it's funny because I noticed, um, I noticed that this was kind of the one. Now, granted, there have been musician musical biopics, you know, forever, mm -hmm. um, but uh, but this one was the kind of the one in two thousand four. Ray Beyond the Sea and De, De Lovely came out. So that was Kevin Spacey as Bobby Darren right. in Beyond oh, the Sea. Yes. And The Lovely was uh, Kevin Klein as Cole Porter. So those all came out in 2004. And then 2005, Walk the Line came out, which was uh, Johnny Cash. It was the, I, did, I didn't even know about The Lovely. Yeah. Never heard of it. Oh, it's, you know, it came and went. And it's not great, but Kevin Klein is always great. Is always great. And yeah. um, Ashley Judd is his love interest and she's wonderful. And what was cool about it was all the musicians, uh, they, they got a lot of very contemporary musicians to uh -huh. record his songs and make up the soundtrack, but they did oh, it in cool. very traditional ways. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it is, that movie is so depressing. Like it is, oh. De Lovely is incredibly depressing, but it is very good. Uh, in that, in some ways, and then not great in other ways. But um, yeah, it was there was this time, this period of time where I feel like the mu musician or musical biopic became like you know became a a huge subgenre that every A list actor was trying to get into. It's so funny. You you always have the big picture, Clark. I <laughs> never see the big picture. I would never have like looked at that time and go, hey, y yeah, there are a lot of musician biopics, you know, that's, that's interesting. Well, and what's fun about it is because I also noticed that, uh, that in 2007, which is just a couple of years later after Jamie Foxx obviously won the Oscar, mm -hmm. um, Le'Veon Rose came out with Marion oh, Cotillard. Oh, that was amazing. And I'm not there about the Bob Dylan, loosely Bob yes, Dylan that film. was, what? <laughs> but also Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Oh God, was that good. I just love him so much. That was good. Yeah. And he, and John C. Riley is of course wonderful, but it just, the reason I suppose that I bring up this, like uh, the big picture of all of these types of movies is because inevitably you get something like walk hard yes that has to have a little bit of fun 
with it. Oh, yeah. And so my impressions of watching Coming to Ray, gosh, over a decade after mm-hmm. it came out, was, was that this is, you recognize things in this movie that really, I would argue, Taylor Hackford kind of, you know, made the the norm for the subgenre. Yeah. So it's kind of like coming to the Matrix 10 years after the Matrix has come out. You can watch it and go, I've seen all of this before. And you go, well, yeah, because, because they started <laughs> That's it. exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Hackford is really great with uh, musical yes. uh, movies as well. Um, and also these things cannot help any kind of biopic, any kind, cannot help but trivialize things right. just a little bit. And, you know, or just like be on, on the record with like, you know, Elvis Presley, you go and make up your bed. You know, it's like, fucked up. No, <laughs> don't, don't. Um, Sun Records, which was a TV show, um, uh, the story of Sam Phillips, mm-hmm. basically, who discovered Elvis. But there's all these other people like Jerry Lee Lewis mm-hmm. and all these other people around at the same time. And it's the same thing, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis, you go to church now and stop flirting with that girl, you know. Oh, my God. It's so but on the But they nose. don't really do that in Ray. Yeah. Which is good. There, there was, yeah, I would say, you know, the last, the final scene where he goes into his own imagination and can see as an adult and, yeah. like, talks to his mom and talks to his younger self, I think was the only, one of the only times in Ray where I was kind of like, yeah. We could do without this scene, maybe. Yeah. But um, but it was also, you know, I'm from Georgia. And so Ray Charles, and not only because I'm from Georgia, but because my dad has always loved um, not only Motown, but Ray Charles and and popular blues music and and all of and all of that. Um, I grew up listening to Ray Charles and, um, Georgia on my mind is of course, you know, you, you come in, um, from the, uh, in the airport and it says, we're glad that Georgia's on your mind. I mean, it's just like, it's everywhere. And so to know when we got to that scene in Augusta where he said, no, I'm not going to play unless this, this dance floor is integrated. And he was banned from Georgia. I know. And then they, I mean, I didn't know any of that. Yeah, there may be a lot of people. There were a lot of things that uh, that movie revealed about Ray Charles that I didn't know. And I liked finding out, you know, um, I didn't really know the details of his blindness. I didn't know Mm. that he was sighted at Mm -hmm. one at one time. And um, I love the way that they dealt with Ahmet Erdogan, that they established him. You know, and then they showed Ray Charles taking his career in his own hands and negotiating, which nobody had ever done, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, African-American artists who had been so exploited and ripped off. Yeah. And, you know, Ray Charles was a real taskmaster. He he was a martinet, you know, even with his crew. It's like he would fine people for being late. Mm -hmm. You know, he was really tough. With um, just out of curiosity, is there a reason that that you are glad that they established the Amit character? Because Amit Erdogan is a really peculiar uh, individual. Uh, he Atlantic Records, you know, he absolutely championed all these great R and B musicians, and he's from Turkey. You know, right? It just I think that it illustrates how this kind of music touches everyone. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be from a culture that that the particular music evolved from mm-hmm. to have it touch you. 
And I've always been fascinated by Ahmed Erdogan for that reason and, and for the other artists that he signed at Atlantic. I don't know anything. I don't know anything about him. I, I'd never even oh, yeah. I had never even heard of him before. Yeah. Were there any other artists that stand out? Um, I I think it was a combination of him and Jerry Reck, Wexler, mm -hmm. who was the producer. So um, Aretha Franklin, mm. um, Dusty Springfield. Ah, mm -hmm. oh, God. Uh, you know, I'm going to think of the other sure. people at four in the morning. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they yeah. really, this was a label for soul singers. Wow. That's amazing. Well, and you know, when it comes to Taylor Hackford, I looked him up. I knew who he was. And I want also, I, I have to mention because, you know, in a world where there's so many um, women of note who are mostly described as so-and-so's wife, uh -huh. when I think of Taylor Hackford... I think, I think <laughs> Helen Mirren. He's Helen Mirren's husband. husband. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I know he's a director, but uh, but yeah, that's that. He had a life before her. <laughs> God, he did. It's not fair. But but to that, so to that point, aside from his accomplishment of being married to an incredible woman, um, I looked up his credits because the only movie that I really, aside from Ray, that I really associate with him is The Devil's Advocate. Oh, didn't he do Coal Miner's Daughter? Uh, no. Oh, he didn't? No. Okay. He um he did Officer and a Gentleman. Okay. Um and and so but in the 90s there were these like uh these these dark thrillers like Dolores Claiborne with Kathy Bates. He directed that yeah. too. Yeah. Wow. And uh and Devil's Advocate. Devil's Advocate is great. That's another movie that I will watch. Oh yeah. You know, it's and and I noticed I did notice too like this interest in the the South in such a way, you yes. know. Um, but uh, but but aside from those handful, and I'm not going through all of his credits, but aside from those handful of narrative features, he has a lot of he worked with a lot of musicians, right? You know, and I feel like that was one thing that I noticed about this movie. Aside from uh, Jamie Foxx's performance, I think this movie really stands out. Um, because of the way that he shoots the music. Yes. Those musical numbers are really like, and they're all different. They're all shot yes. differently and um, yeah. the energy, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he gets it. Yeah. And he loves that genre and he loves, clearly loves musicians and he features them in a way that, that movies don't normally do. Yeah. Well, and I, so let's, um, let's kind of pivot back to Jamie Foxx because I, I think I've always believed, I guess, because I grew up, um, uh, loving film and television and loving acting, loving mm -hmm. actors. I yes. love watching a great performance and I don't care where it comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so with that being said, like I, I can point to maybe the, um, like, like a Jim Carrey figure. So when I was a little kid, uh, or when I was younger, that was Ace Ventura, Liar, Liar, Dumb and Dumber, like these huge, broad comedies. Right. Yes. And then as I grew up and got a little, you know, probably barely 13-ish. Um, <laughs> That's grown up. Way back when, as a grown-up woman, young woman. Um, but I noticed, I, and somebody who is interested in film, I noticed the pivot to The Truman Show. Mm -hmm. Or I noticed when he did Man on the Moon. And Spotless. Uh, and Eternal, so, and then Eternal Sunshine is what essentially, like, yeah. blew my mind, right? Yeah. So I love the the notion or the idea that that 
you know, I think for a long time it was like, oh, well, comedians are just funny people and mm-hmm. we're still surprised every time they take a yeah. dark turn yeah. or take a turn into the dramatic or show another side. Well, you know, c- clearly people like Robin Williams and, you know, Tom Hanks started out on Bosom Buddies. Yes. It was a comedy. He's very good at comedy. But Jamie Foxx, to me, is different in the sense that I, d- I wonder how many people remember that he had a TV show. Sure. That it was a comedy TV show that introduced a lot, you know, Garcelle Beauvais, Garrett Morris was on it. Um, and I don't know, he, he was not on In Living Color. I thought Did he, he make appearances? Was. I thought he was on for like a season maybe. So maybe not one of the like regular players, but I thought he I was. I think that a character that he did on his own show, he might have done Got it. on In Living Color, but this could also turn out to be an embarrassing. Oh, <laughs> no, but I think, well, well, but In Living Color had, there were. There were guest people. That's, yes, yeah. yes. Um, but I, I wonder how many people remember that he, that was really our first exposure to him. Right. Was a comedic actor. Well, and I remember him popping up on Comedy Central doing stand-up. Oh, really? And hosting, I never saw. Like hosting stand-up nights. Really? And, mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember, I think he was in a couple of feature films, like, I mean, I, I'm not, <laughs> I almost said it was such a straight face, but wasn't he in, um, like booty call and like a handful of, um, comedies made specifically for, um, in that time. Isn't that, I, I think. I, I'm not sure. I have to be honest. I'm not sure if he's in booty call. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the, um, I'm not sure that he is so, in booty call. Should we? Um, but so I, but I, I do bring that up because I think the nineties were a time period where Jamie Foxx as a performer was finding his, um, finding his footing essentially. Like it's funny when you look back at the, at the in living colors or the, um, or the Jamie Foxx show or these, uh, these variety shows in the 90s that found essentially these incredible talents, right? Yes. And like, and and you watch their careers either solidify or or kind of like never quite line up. Right. Like I've never understood why um, why Mo Collins hasn't had her starring vehicle. Yeah, I understand. Like, I agree with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, all right, let's go to the phones. I have Jamie Foxx right here. Okay. Booty call. Was, do I have a booty call? <laughs> <laughs> Give me booty call. Um, no, stop calling me. Someone's calling me. I think that was actually my agent, and I'm not being oh, funny. Oh, dear. <laughs> booty call. All right, way to go. 1997, and all he right. played buns. Buns. <laughs> buns. Nice. But, okay, so so to that point, though, Jamie Foxx, absolutely, and in living color. Wow. He was 96. Oh, no, that can't be his tenure, but various. So he yeah. he's credited there as well. So, yeah, it's, it's fun watching... Him find his footing in the '90s, but then it really does look like in living in in <laughs> any given Sunday yes. was the turning point uh-huh. because you can start to see stuff like oh, and you know what? At the time, Jamie Foxx show ran for five years. The yeah. Jamie Foxx show had a hundred episodes. Yeah, that's crazy. It's amazing, isn't it? Anyhow, I just um, it's really cool to see um, an actor like Jamie Foxx, or performer. This is what I think is interesting about him, is he is such 
it's almost like he's out of a different time in a way because we don't see, at least I don't see, um, people being embraced for being able to do all of the things that they can do. He can, and he's a singer, he's a dancer, he's an actor, he's a comedian, he's a great dramatic actor. I didn't you know? know he was a dancer. Well, I mean, I think he, or Are you just saying in general, people don't recognize that, that people are like a triple, quadruple threat? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think, I think people tend to compartmentalize an individual's talent and not see the breadth of their skills. Um, and that's a shame mm -hmm. because he certainly, as an individual, is so monumentally, I'll say it again, talented mm -hmm. that, you know, every single aspect of what he does, he's superb at. And, you know, it may have even been a revelation to him mm -hmm. that he was a good dramatic actor. It's not easy to be an actor. It's not. And uh, to just be able to transfer into it and be so good at it is not easy and it should be you know billboarded it mm -hmm. should be really recognized when you see so i want to talk a little bit also about about his performance as ray charles specifically yeah. um because i think there was a little bit of criticism um you know for so it was like it was almost as though people would talk about the performance on the one hand as he truly embodied this man he his did. soul and his mannerisms and i looked at pictures i mean he he was he looked the resemblance was was is absolutely there yeah but he got his speech patterns too yes and his his physical movements the way he held his head kind of up tilted upwards a bit you know he he hosted saturday night live so i met ray charles oh. um and <laughs> we did a version of <laughs> the the young caucasians was our band <laughs> did a version of uh what I say, uh -huh. and you know, it was what did I say? You know, <laughs> and he totally got it. He was he was so funny. He really absolutely got the joke a hundred percent, which you know musicians usually do. I gotta say, mm -hmm. but um, so having observed Ray Charles, and also I'd go see him in concert. Jamie Fox nailed it, mm -hmm. you know, and it wasn't an impression. It was an embodiment. It was like he slipped into the suit, you know? And again, that is a craft. That is a, a gift that he has. That's kind of what I wanted to to think about. That's what that's sort of what I was getting at. Was the, I think the criticism was, oh well, it was an impression, and and well, but I so would, what? yeah, but and well, but I and I would agree that I think it was it was more of an embodiment. It was less of you know, I mean, that. But I suppose that is sort of the trick when you're playing real people. Yeah, I mean, it's there's always somebody who's going to find some way to criticize. Right. And, you know, so what if it's an impression? Big deal. He brought this guy to life, mm -hmm. you know, in a narrative that was, you know, written by someone. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that's why, in the end, the whole thing of him, you know, revisiting his childhood and his mother and mm -hmm. his mind, that's the poetic license I think anybody takes when they do a biopic, because no one can really know. Yeah. And that's another reason why they seem to trivialize things in a way. Because, you know, the, the only story they know is the one that's been told many, many times to where it becomes something else. Mm -hmm. uh, and usually the truth is either much more interesting or much more mundane. Mm -hmm. 
but um, I wouldn't fault anybody for doing an impression if it brings it alive. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there are any stories that, because um, you are a fan of the subgenre, yes, the biopic, or are you? I like biopics. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a? Do, I mean, it, it's a subgenre that I actually have always not really been interested in, mm-hmm. um, because I find them at, at, like well, we were it's tricky. That's that. Yeah, yeah. I, that's the part that I always struggle with is the idea. Of, for instance, you know, we don't know. We haven't seen the movie, but by the time this will come out, you know, CinemaCon will have shown some footage from the Freddie Mercury um, oh, I can't Bohemian wait. Rhapsody. Yeah. And, and, you know, like there was so much, I'm a, I'm a huge, Queen's my favorite band. Um, I don't admit to know everything. Who's or, playing him? Rami Malek from um, oh, my Mr. God. Robot. Yeah. And they showed some, some images of him back around Christmas time. And he looks, I mean, he looks Exactly like Freddie. It's, it's really oh yeah. They they when they get him in the makeup and and in the costume. But I guess what I'm so with that story, the thing that we've always heard or that I've heard as I followed this movie kind of to to actual production is that Sasha Baron Cohen was attached for a while to I play Freddie, and he looked more like him than than uh, Rami Malek. Yeah. I must say. So and and I actually was very excited to see someone like Sasha Baron Cohen who Me once too. I think he is immensely talented. Me too. Um but he the the story is and who knows how much of it is actually true but the story is that he left the project because um they are you know he whoever was producing or developing that film was working alongside the surviving members of the band and the band didn't want to tell the edgy or dark story that came along with their life. They wanted to celebrate and tell like a little bit more of a, um, you know, um, a more positive story. But, oh God, that's, that's so wrongheaded. Yeah. You know? And to so, sanitize anybody's story. Well, and so that's... Because what, it's what makes him interesting. Well, he, no, sorry, please. No, I, you go ahead. I'm, I, I was just going to say that I, I agree, and I think that's what makes a character like... You know, because at the, some point, the if you're going to make a, a fictionalized account of a person, the, the poor person has to become a character. Yeah. You know? And so... Well, also, I know that um, the band gave him a really hard time when he came out to them. Mm-hmm. And then he rescinded it. He said, oh, I was just kidding, you know. Uh-huh. So they probably don't want to be uh, depicted as being, you know, tyrannizing him the way they did. Sure. I think that the issue is that the, they still own the music. Oh. And so it's like if they They've can't. got to play Kate. Ex- basically, That's yes. Um, and so with, with Brian Singer's involvement, um, uh, he, I think, and and our our mutual friend Holly Payne told me that um, that Brian is uh, a huge Queen fan and really does love the band and knows so much about them. And so in her mind, he was the right person uh, in that way to direct the film. Um, well, hopefully, he can finesse that aspect and talk them into including, you know, the interesting and maybe dark side of. Freddie Mercury's life. Well, and it's and with that film in particular, you know, with so Brian Singer, and this is not gossip. He was fired off of the movie um, oh. because he wasn't showing up. Oh, <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying is though, when especially when it comes to musicians, I am endlessly curious to see 
um, how much of the dark side, you know, the, the, the stories choose to embrace. Well, normally, you know, that's really what they absolutely embrace because that's where the drama is. But, um, who ended up directing it? Well, so Brian Singer, um, I believe is still the credited director on the movie. Oh. I don't know. So he was fired in the, towards the end of production. Oh. Um, so they had already been shooting and they had been shooting a lot. And um, I guess he wasn't um, showing up according to the reports and the trades. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't really know if it was um, a conflict with the band because I think it was like the, the movie was already going. Like it was full right. steam ahead. Who knows? So I don't know who they got, got to come in to finish it. So he doesn't have the, his cut, Brian Singer. Right. Um, I, well, he no, I guess not. Yeah, that'll mm. be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, I don't know because you know when um, Miller and Lord were taken off of um, Ho- Solo, uh, they just you know hired a new director. Um, Ron Howard is now the director, and he directed Solo. Right. What is Solo? Um, Han Solo. The, oh, right, the Han right. Solo okay, movie. Um, so, but similarly, when with the Justice League issue, so when Justice League came out, um, Zack Snyder left production and Joss Whedon came in and finished production. I see. But Zack Snyder is still the credited director okay. on Justice League. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see, especially the movie's called Bohemian Rhapsody. So it'll be mm-hmm. really interesting to see. Um, how how they handle that. Yeah, well, I'm going to go no matter what because <laughs> I'm very curious. And Rami looks fabulous. I, I can't even imagine it because Freddie Mercury's bite, you know, his teeth are very distinctive, so he must be working with appliances. Oh, yeah, yeah. And trying to talk with the appliances, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be hard. But he's... Do you watch Mr. Robot? I have, yeah. I kind of lost interest in it. The pace ultimately... I couldn't deal with. I'm the same. But I love the cast. I think they're fantastic. And he's great. He is. He's absolutely great. Yeah. It'll be it'll be fun. Um, it'll be fun to see him in that role, too. I think he's ready to be a movie star. And he's so young. Is he? Yeah, he's How like 24, 26. He is? Yeah. He's, oh, my God. He's definitely not 30. He's, yeah. He, and but, I mean, to my... He's very petite, too. I mean, mm-hmm. I think Freddie Mercury was tall. It's going to be really interesting. Did you ever see Queen live? No. Oh. I wish I had. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen them, too. Yeah, me too. Um. All right. So, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's any other... Oh, well, did... um, As far as Ray goes, are there any other points that stand out to you as as truly impressive that we haven't touched on already well um i i don't know how to answer that i think we've touched on a lot of things that that are foremost in my mind about that movie and i would just you know reiterate that it told things that i didn't know Mm -hmm. and that i liked and showing his rise to what he did and him you know i think it was i don't know if it was armit erdogan but somebody kind of said you know, he found his sound when he went towards gospel, mm-hmm. which he got a hard time mm-hmm. for, too. But until then, he was kind of just, you know, sounding like Nat King Cole, and right. they didn't want that. So whoever guided him really has a big part to do with his success. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I just, 
I love the story. I love that movie so much. I, I am, um, I just, it just hit me that we, um, I have to bring up Regina King and Carrie Washington. Oh yeah. I looked up, um, it, if Carrie Washington was, was singled out for, um, you know, like at the Golden Globes or any sort of like recognition for her work specifically apart from the ensemble. Mm -hmm. Um, and she kind of got left out of the mix. Yeah. The long suffering wife role is rarely recognized for the finesse that it is. Right. Um, And Regina King's role was a really tough one. Um, Regina King is another actress that is just phenomenal to me. Um, And can do comedy as well, which just kills me. Um, And Kerry Washington also (laughs) can be really funny. But yeah, I think that the the, the long-suffering wife uh, is a role that is easily overlooked. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, just in watching the movie um, for the first time, I thought she was the heart of the movie. She, for me, she was. I mean, granted, I like Ray. I like his. I like uh-huh. him, and I, I not only. Um, empathize with him, but I sympathize with him. Absolutely. Um, and, and it, it almost, it was, there were plenty of moments that were, that felt especially cold seeing the way he was treated, not only as a a black man during the civil rights movement, during this period of time, um, but a, a blind man, it just, Mm -hmm. you know, not, and it's not, I don't say that in a, in a pitying kind of way. I just mean he was, he was just, it's, it seemed as though everyone he encountered found a reason to just treat him badly, which, which upset me that they, they won't take him out like earlier on the tour, you know, they won't take oh, him right, out. Right. They won't, they he's isolated, yeah. you know, and they, and which they, is, it's being blind is isolating enough. Absolutely. But yeah. And that, uh, you know, to make that experience palpable for an audience, that isolation and possibly boredom because of his, you know, disability I think it was done so well mm-hmm. and very evocative of what he must have been experiencing. Sure. And that's hard. And, but, and his Ray's vulnerability, I guess what I mean when I say that Carrie Washington for me was the heart of the film was that Ray through learn, learn it or not, you know, meet reasons. He, um, doesn't get an opportunity to show any sort of vulnerability very often. And and that's mm-hmm. not a criticism. It's it just, to me, that's what I took away from, from his character. And well, she he does seem to be very loyal to yes. his wife all, all through, no matter how many, you know, affairs he had. I think that he held her in a kind of a pristine regard because of the way in which he met her in the courtship. And, you know, uh, I think she ended up, staying with him that whole time Mm -hmm. to the best of my recollection um so i think that that always speaks well of you know characters in their own life that they that they don't become too heady with their success Mm -hmm. um all right last question about ray and then we'll move on to your addition to the Uh list um this is this movie is on the cheers list um, so it's the number 99 I know. M- most inspiring film. Um, now, we talk about the list on this show a lot just uh-huh. because it's, there are glaring omissions sometimes mm-hmm. and then there are confusing additions. And, um, but, but what are your thoughts on Ray being an inspiring movie? Uh, 
Because I will just say I don't agree. I don't think it is, uh, you know, I think that there's always, just like when you have to criticize someone for doing an impression, it's arbitrary. And I think saying that it's uh, inspiring is also gratuitous and arbitrary. What's inspiring to me is Jamie Foxx's talent. Mm. You know, that's Mm -hmm. what is inspiring to me about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, those movies, well, it's a cheers list. And so the, the snappy way of describing it is it makes you want to stand up and cheer. And while there are, you know, very um, exciting and funny and uh, wonderful, you know, sequences in this movie, I just, there wasn't a whole lot that made me want to stand, stand up, up and, and cheer. cheer. <laughs> you yeah. know, like it's a, it's a dark, this is a dark movie. And yeah. And that and so so I just I I was sometimes I, the more I look at these lists you know and it's just it's just fun it's just parameters it's not right. like it's that big of a deal but this was one some are more curious uh, mm-hmm. choices than others yeah I just think probably probably because of his disability and he triumphed as an artist and a star is what would be considered inspiring sure um, but it's is really really um, facile thing to attribute to that movie. Uh, it's it's so much more. Yeah, and to call it inspiring kind of belittles it in a way. I I agree. I agree. Um, all right. Well, AFI. These are our notes. So <laughs> <laughs> so you better listen because we know <laughs> we do know. Um, all right. So everybody gets the chance to uh, to add a movie to the list that's not on the list. Um, do you have one that you would add? I do. Um, and you know, horror is really like the redheaded stepchild when it comes to the Academy Awards. Yes. But um, Larry Cohen is a filmmaker mm-hmm. that I absolutely love. And he's, he's also a script doctor, and he's, he's doctored scripts of, of you know, well-known dramas. Um, but he's also done amazingly unique movies. And the one I, I, should, I think should be on the list is God Told Me To. Yeah, I've heard you. You've told me to watch this movie before, and I don't think I've seen. I've not seen it yet. Well, it's first of all, it's an amazing cast: Sandy Duncan, uh, Sylvia Sidney, Tony LoBianco. It is Andy Kaufman's film debut, mm. um, and it's it's about alien abduction. And um, oh God, what is the actor that plays the? I just, whenever I watch it, I don't know if I should say this because it's kind of a spoiler, Mm. but um, all I can say is once you watch it, imagine the pitch meeting for it. Mm. That's all I can say. (laughs) Um, It it just challenges all sorts of things about, um, you know, the existence of God, Mm. um, uh, foundlings, you know, people who are... uh, stigmatized for having, you know, immaculate conception, or were you impregnated by an alien? Mm -hmm. You know, which is it? Uh, And so, you know, it introduces that, but it it also introduces Tony LoBianco's character as a cop, and he's very, very religious. And he's on this case where people are doing mass shootings, and when they're apprehended, they say, God told me to. So um, it's... It addresses a lot of really interesting things about religion, mm-hmm. but also, you know, the idea that it might possibly have been aliens. Mm-hmm. That, you know, God forbid, the things in the miracles in the Bible, you know, Ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle of the air was a flying saucer, you know? Yes. 
That's, um, so one of the things that, so as I get older, the concept of aliens or, or other life forms kind of making contact Mm -hmm. is really interesting to me because as I get older, I find out more about the human brain all the time. Mm -hmm. So for instance, um, I have sleep paralysis. Um, do you know what sleep paralysis is? So one of the things, and there's a, I'm, you might, have you seen the nightmare? Uh, the movie about sleep paralysis. Yeah. I've seen the ads for it. It okay. scares me. I, yeah. I just like, I don't know, it's, where's my 10 foot pole? <laughs> it's scary. Um, it is scary. The movie is scary. Um, and so I say that because the nightmare lays out very clear archetypes that people have described for hundreds of years that they see in their sleep or uh-huh. it happens to them in their sleep. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, I have the, the old hag or the demon on the chest. So oh, I can't see anything. Thank God. Because if I had to see some of these figures that he shows or reenacts in this, in this, um, film are like the man with the hat, you know, kind of like a Freddy Krueger type, right. um, right. or, or, uh, the shadow or the, the shadow people mm-hmm. or, um, or large headed beings that right. a lot of people think are, are similar to what we describe as the grays. Right. Yes. So for me, what happens is um, I, I'm awake, but I can't open my eyes and I can't move. And it feels like something is pushing down on my chest, like Fuck. holding me down. And whatever it is feels very dangerous. Like I, I, it feels like something or someone or whatever it is, is going to hurt me if I don't snap myself out of this, right? Um, and, and so then I just have to tell myself like, wake up to wake up and to like stay calm. And then once I do, it's immediately over. Um, but this is the same thing that has been happening for hundreds of years, which leads me to believe that it's something in our brains that just whatever, for whatever reason, conjures that image or that experience or that archetype or that shape. And that's kind of what I wonder if alien abduction or mm-hmm. real abduction stories mm-hmm. truly are. If, if it's something going on in our brains um, that we've been seeing forever because as human beings, or even if it's not forever, but more recently as human beings, it's just stuck in there. I don't yeah, know. It is interesting that there are archetypes uh, of um, scary, quote unquote, yes. scary images um, I don't know if you ever read Clan of the Cave Bear, uh-uh. but um, it's it's basically about the Neanderthal uh, and um, I guess it's a Homo sapien, but it's an earlier form of Homo sapien mating to become the current man. Mm. And uh, one of the things that they talk about for the Neanderthal, I don't remember if they had it for the um, the main character who was not Neanderthal was that they carry their memories around. They carry their ancestors' memories around, huh. which is an interesting notion. But the idea of aliens, you know, I, I've never seen a flying saucer. Mm-hmm. I've never have felt like I've had an alien encounter. But what are the odds that we are alone? They're right. very slim. Right. You know, there's got to be something out there. 
And I think more and more, especially movies like Contact Mm -hmm. and uh, what was the one recently with Amy Adams? Oh, yeah, Arrival. Arrival. Those things are so vivid and make a lot more sense than the ones of the past. Mm -hmm. And they seem probable, Mm -hmm. you know? I I agree. And I don't think that... Well, that's, so the other thing, okay, we're going down a rabbit hole, but this is great. We were talking before we started rolling about last podcast on the left. Yes. Um, have you listened to their two-part series on Betty and Barney Hill? And they are like one of the first no. credible alien abduction stories. No, I've not heard that one. Okay. You were going to love this. Okay. And um, <laughs> what's fascinating, so these are real people. Uh, and I think this happened in the late fifties, early sixties. So this is really interesting. So Betty and Barney Hill, um, interracial couple Mm -hmm. and they live, I think they live in the Midwest in the U S. Um, and, uh, they, they were very well liked and, um, and by, by most accounts, you know, they didn't run into two, their friends accepted them as an interracial couple. So they didn't really deal with too much, you know, controversy in that respect. But so they were out and they have this, you know, a, what the light comes, uh, they, they don't remember anything. And then they're in the car on the way home all of a sudden, and they lost all this, they lost time. Uh-huh. And you can listen to the recovered, you know, these sessions, they filmed everything with the scientists talking to Betty and Barney separately, mm-hmm. um, after this incident occurred. So you can hear them doing like recovered memories and things like that. But one of the things, and, and Henry Zabrowski, um, mentions, cause he's like super, excited about the about just the notion or concept of aliens and how we think about it right mm-hmm. and one of the things he talks about is that aliens the the idea is they don't they why would they physically have they don't physically encounter us they do it telepathically mm-hmm. essentially and um that to me i think is absolutely more realistic Mm -hmm. than the flying saucer coming through the air and crash landing on earth. Like I'm not convinced that these other beings, because I don't think we're alone either, but I'm not convinced that these other beings, um, come to earth and like physically do things to people. Right. But I, I do think that there are other dimensions or there are other ways of communicating that we just for whatever reason can't tap into. Mm-hmm. But that's, that to me is way more plausible. Yeah. I think the, yeah, the mind uh, thing is probably much more plausible, but I st- still think like any alien culture might, you know, abduct humans just to study them. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that makes some sense, you know, just like any specimen. Sure. Uh, but this whole idea of like mass hysteria uh-huh. and you know a mass delusion. I'm watching a show called The Crossing, mm-hmm. and it's a time travel series. And you know these people come out of the ocean, but 47 people survive, mm. and um, they're attributing their uh, story of where they came from as a mass delusion. Mm. When has that ever been real? Right. I'd like to know. Right. How does that happen? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, um, that's kind of a tricky one too. I don't know. Well, then you get down down that rabbit hole of, of gaslighting and, and well, if we just tell you all that what you saw didn't really happen. Yeah. And I mean, 
it's it's fun. I mean, yeah. it's not fun, but you know, it's yeah. it's um it's interesting and scary mm-hmm. and titillating and horrifying to think about all yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Um. All right. So God told me to. God told me to. Is yes. our addition to the inspiration list. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it is an inspiration. To the cheers list. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, I feel good. Do this you, was fun. This is super fun. I, it was, you ha- made me have to think and shit. Ooh, well, so that was good. I mean, you're welcome, but mm-hmm. no, you do a lot of thinking on your own. Um, all right, Lorraine. Well, this was a treat. It's always a treat talking movies with you. Thank you, Clark. It's a great topic for a podcast. Thank you. Really. I appreciate it. All right, my friend. Well, I will, I'm sure we'll continue talking about movies as soon as I turn this off. We will. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Alrighty, friends, that's going to do it for us today. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation that really uh, covered a lot of topics <laughs> from music and uh, and movies and the Oscars to sleep paralysis and aliens, because sure. And um, shout out to my friend uh, Zaina, who on Twitter, who um, is a real queen of horror, and uh, she alerted the internet and also me that the movie Lorraine recommends uh, God Told Me To is available on Hulu uh, if you are here in the States. I'm not sure about internationally, but I definitely know that um, that it is playing on Hulu right now. So you can go watch it, which is actually, it's Friday, it's Saturday night. It's about 8.30. I am super cool and recording and, and working and being um, a vegetable. But uh, I'm actually going to go watch that right now. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, this Thursday for $5 and higher Patreon subscribers, it's an AMA episode. You guys um, left questions. I am answering them. So that should be a great talk. Thank you so much for your participation. Thank you for listening to this show. Please feel free if you haven't already to leave um, comments and uh, and rate and review the show. And um, and if you can't or haven't already, go ahead and subscribe. And if you're interested in hearing that AMA mini that is coming out this Thursday, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Clark Wolf. Thanks so much, guys, and I'll see you next time.